0: in Psalm chapter number two, I've never, I don't know if I've ever preached out of Psalm two. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I have quoted verses out of this and, and brought verses from this Psalm out to, to uh, bring out some points from it. But I don't think I've ever just preached a message from Psalm two. And I want to remind you, this is the song book of the Bible. And so this song that we're looking at today, uh, I want you to understand this is a song that they would be singing, uh, the people of God would be singing. So when you find your place in Psalm 2, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read this song. Now we won't do that for every Psalm, especially Psalm 119, uh, but I am going to sing, I am going to read the entire Psalm uh, here, all right? The Bible says this, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Would you help us pray? Father, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for a Bible. Thank you for the blessed word of God. Thank you for uh, inspiring your word to be pinned down all those years ago, and holy men and were moved by the Holy Ghost and pinned down these holy words. And God, thank you for that. And then thank you for the preservation of your Bible, God, thanking you for preserving it all the way down through the centuries, and then giving us a perfect copy in the English language for us to be able to read. Thank you for a Bible. Thank you for the Holy Ghost of God that guides us into all truth. Thank. Thank you, Lord God, for him living on the inside of us and directing us in the Word of God and directing us how to live out the Word of God. Father, I pray that you'd help us now try to preach the Word of God. I pray you'd unctionize us and anoint us to say everything we need to. Please, Lord God, fill us with the Spirit of God and empty us of self. I pray, God, you'd stir up the hearts of the saints of God. I pray, God, you'd convict the heart of the sinner. I pray, God, you'd do work that only you could do today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. I want to preach on Psalm, on the, out of this Psalm, Psalm 2. I want to preach on this thought. What in the world? What in the world? As I look at Psalm chapter 2, there is a contrast in Psalm 2 and in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 called our attention to the law of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. But Psalms 2 directs our attention to the prophecies of God. And according to Luke chapter 16 and verse 16, when, Abra- when, when, God is, or when Abraham is speaking to uh, that man, that rich man who's crying out to uh, To uh, let him out and to go tell his brother and all that kind of stuff. Luke 16, 16 says uh, the ruling, the two ruling notes of the Old Testament was the law and the prophets. And here we find the songbook of the Bible, opening songs about the law and prophecy. Not only is that a difference here, Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed, but Psalm 2 ends with the word blessed in the psalm in psalm chapter one we find the wicked man just blown away like the shaft that's uh, off the tree he's just he's just driven away but in psalm two we him we see him broken in pieces like a potter's vessel in the first psalm we see a contrast between the blessed man and the blighted man but in psalm two we see the contrast between the disobedience of the wicked and the triumph of the son of god there is some differences in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is the first of many messianic psalms. Uh, These psalms are uh, psalms that are pointing us to the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One that wants to come, the One that is going to come. This is pointing to Jesus Christ. This is pointing to the Son of God. This is pointing, uh, this particular psalm is pointing to His coming at a later time. Some psalms point to His coming the first time and this psalm is pointing to his coming the second time when he comes as king and king of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, there are three distinct lines of prophecy when we're talking about Jesus Christ. We know that he was he is prophesied to be prophet, priest, and king. And as the prophet, he's going to convey the word of God. As priest, he's going to conduct the worship of God. But as king, he is going to control the world of God. And that's what we see in Psalms chapter. Chapter number two, we see him as king, and he is going to control God's world. The authorship of Psalm two is solidified in Acts chapter number four. When in Acts chapter number four of uh, the Bible said, "Who by the mouth of thy servant David uh, had said, Why did the heathen uh, rage? Why do the heathen rage?" So in Acts chapter four, verse thirty-five, we see the confirmation of David as the author of this psalm, and David is the human penman of this psalm. In Psalm chapter number 2, it could be best viewed in a fourfold picture. We're going to look at that here in just a minute. There are four distinct uh, 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 and different scenes uh, as we'll look, and these four scenes are uh, 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 clustered in three verses apiece. These twelve verses are split in four three-verse sections, and they will show us a clear picture how uh, how God wants us to see this first sermon. Uh, this first song or the second song that's in the song book of God we'll find a couple things about this but there are many lessons to be learned from Psalm chapter number 2 there's several lessons we can learn but I think the main lesson from Psalm chapter 2 is this it's better to bend than to be broken it's better to bow than to be broken and we'll talk more about that here's what I mean by that though is that submission to the son of God is the only way to escape the wrath of God and to escape the final destruction by the hand of God. You want to miss out on the destruction that's coming? You want to miss out on the judgment that's coming? Then bow now. Be in now. Bow to the Lord Jesus Christ now or you'll be broken later on. And that's the main lesson of the psalm. I want to look at this psalm real quickly and break these sections down and then we'll uh, get to the uh, thrust of the message. Uh, number one, in verses one through three, we see a conflict or some would say a revolt of the nations. Verse 1 says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Look here. We see these foes of God. We see these enemies of God. These are nations. These are, uh, the Bible says in verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing. We find here the nations, the people, the kings, the rulers. We see these, these leaders have a hatred against God's anointed. Jesus Christ has always been opposed. That is nothing new in the world today. People don't like Jesus. People didn't like him uh, when he was here and people didn't like him before he got here. Uh, the, the world has always been opposed to Jesus and I don't care what this millennial crowd says. Uh, that, that ain't going to change until Jesus comes back. Uh, uh, listen, this world's not getting better and better and we're going to usher in his kingdom. No, 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 no. It's getting worse and worse and worse uh, and all of a sudden he's going to rapture us a poor judgment on this world uh, and then thank God he's coming back on a white horse uh, as king of kings and lord of lords uh, and he's going to set up his kingdom. Uh, This world hates our God and they hate our Savior my friend, the opposition is found in every nation. The opposition is found in every royalty. All ranks and all generations are opposed to the things of God. And I'll say this, generally speaking, this holds true today as well. The higher an individual goes, the higher a family goes, a higher a nation rises politically, socially, and materially, the further they get away from the things of God. If you don't make that true, you must live under a rock. Hey, the higher this nation has went, Politically higher this nation has went uh, as a strong leader in the world, the further she's gotten away from God, uh, and the further we're getting away from the things of God. Hey, uh, listen, this world is set in opposition to the Lord. You understand? When He was here, it wasn't the kings and priests that flocked to Him. There were some rulers who came to him. There were some of the religious sect that came to him but the majority of those that came to Jesus was the common folk. It was the common ones who received him gladly. The rulers and leaders don't have no use for him. Uh, see they set themselves is what verse 2 says. They set themselves. They're, they're not going to give God glory. They're not going to give God honor and if they do it might be with their lips but their lives will say something totally different. How many How many politicians, how many wealthy people do you know putting Christ first in their life? Uh, You don't know many of them. And even the ones who claim to be Christians, they don't put him first on their platform. Uh, And so these verses are just as real today uh, as they have ever been. The kings and the nations and the rulers are against God. And they're not just against him, they're raging against God. We see the foes, but we see the fierceness of their opposition. They say the verse two, verse one says, why of the heathen rage? rage. That means that that word rage, uh, it has the idea of a raging storm, a raging wind, the raging waves or the raging sea, uh, a roaring sea. And what it is, that raging storm is an outward agitation of an inward feeling. And that's exactly what these heathen are doing. They're raging today. I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing today on the streets of our country and the streets of other countries. It's People rage, an outward agitation towards the things of God, of inward feelings that's been bubbling up for a long time. Listen, it wasn't no temporary rage. It wasn't just a little pitch in a fit. This was a deep-rooted, deep-seated hatred for the things of God. Here it is. They imagine a vain thing, the Bible says in verse number 1. Imagine a vain thing. Here it is. Their minds are made up about this. They want nothing to do with the Son of God. They do not know Him personally, and they're not interested in getting acquainted with Him. Uh, Their opposition is determined. They set themselves. Their opposition is deliberate. The Bible says uh, they take counsel together. They've come up with this thing. Uh, This just doesn't happen on winsome chance. Uh, They had counsel together. They talked. About this thing, and they thought the good idea was let's go against God. That's exactly what's happening to our we live in. not only is it deliberate, but it's defying. They're against the Lord and his anointed. What it says in verse 2: Against the Lord and against his anointed. And then it's definite. Notice what they say in verse 3. Let us break their bands and asunder bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Well, we find here the folly of their opposition. We find out what the real problem is. We find out the real problem of the world. Y'all ready for this? Y'all going to be surprised. They don't want to be told what to do or what not to do. They don't want to be told what they should do or what they should not do. They don't want any restraints. They don't want any laws. They don't want any regulation. They want to do their own thing. Does that sound familiar? Just let me be me. I'm my own man. I do what I want to do. I got this thing all right. Me and God's got things worked out. They don't want no law. They don't want no restraints. Hey, listen, the church will be tolerated in 2024 if she'll get rid of her doctrine. The church will be tolerated in 2024 if she'll get rid of her discipline. Amen. Just let me live like I want to. Just preach to me, sing a little song to me. Let me come in and tip God in the offering plate and leave and walk out of here. And no, don't challenge my life. Don't say stuff that's going to rub me wrong. Don't step on my toes. Don't preach on my sin. Preach on everybody else's sin. Hello now. Come on now. That's exactly Hey, preacher, how about preaching more on them sodomites? Why don't I preach on them? What about envy and jealousy and strife too? Well, yeah, you could do that too, but why don't you preach more of them drunkards? Yeah, why don't I preach on a sowing discord amongst the brethren? Well, yeah, you could do that, but uh, why don't you preach on adultery? Yeah, why don't I preach on idolatry? Hello now, what I'm saying is preach on everybody else's it, but don't get on mine. I preach on everybody else's wrongdoing, but don't get on mine. And watch this. We don't want no restraint. We don't want no law. We want to, we want to, well, we, because, you know, that hurts us so bad. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll have to make up a whole group called Recovering. And uh, we'll be recovering from all this church abuse and spiritual abuse and all that. kind. Hey, that's, that sounds familiar, don't it? You know what they call it? Verse 3, bands and cords. You got me bound down. You got us tied down. It's bound down and it's bound up religion. See, the yoke of Christ is easy and his burden is light only to those who have made him Lord. Only to those who have submitted themselves to his lordship. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, wherever you say, whatever you say, I'm yours. You are Lord, and I am yours. And when you do that, the burden is light, and the yoke is easy. But I'm telling you, when you're spiritually blind, you're proud, you're self-willed. The law of Christ has bands and cords, and you feel like they got to be cast off. Let's break them asunder. Let's cast away. Let's break away. I'm about sick and tired. Let me just let me just hot get on something. It's just really gotten on my nerves here lately. I'm so sick and tired of these liberal preachers posting all their little liberty they found about breaking traditions. And every time I ask them, I say, What traditions are you talking about? They can't give me one of them. Amen. I mean, they're all over the internet boasting about their tradition. Here's what they mean is I don't wear a tie in the pulpit no more. whoopie do. We do. Why? Why? Why is it so important? Why is that such a big deal, preacher, for you wearing a tie in a pulpit? Because I'll tell you, in this world we live in, people wear a suit and a tie to give important messages. And there is no more important message to be given today than the message of this blessed old book. And so, therefore, I'm going to keep wearing a tie and a suit. Amen and amen. Amen. I don't wear a tie. Oh, I'm gonna wear blue jeans this Sunday. Oh, I'm gonna still look a little bit. If you saw me just behind my pulpit, I'll have my my tie, my shirt, my suit coat on, and my button-up shirt. But if I step out, I got tennis shoes and blue jeans on. I'm saying that. Not only does that—that's a disgrace. That looks stupid anyway. Get you a—I mean that at least at least if you're gonna dress down, be in style. Amen. Blue jeans and a button-up shirt and a and a and a and a, and a sports coat look stupid. Amen. Listen, listen, what I'm saying is, I'm so tired of this crowd. I've got liberty. Let me show off my liberty. I got a bunch of preachers in North Georgia that got so much liberty. They got alcohol and they got tattoos now. They posted all over social media. Because we got liberty. And here's what they're saying. We're casting off all those cords. We're casting off all those bands. And I tell you what they're really doing, they're raging. And listen, they're not bucking the IFB of Independent Fundamental Badness. They're not bucking, the, they're, not buck, they're bucking God's what they're doing. And they post little selfies with their alcohol and their tattoos and they dare somebody say something about it. Well, listen, I ain't got to say nothing about it. But there's a God in heaven. In verse number four, he's sitting on the throne of heaven. Look what he's doing. And he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Listen, I read this. God may not be giving his bills monthly or quarterly, but when they come up, the folks that's getting the bills are going to have to pay up. Amen. Hey man. You hear me? You can laugh in the face of God all you want. And I ask the question, what in the world? What in the world we're seeing here in Psalm 1, 2, and 3? We are seeing what is happening in this psalm is exactly what's happening And today we live in. You think about this. Really, the folly is this is unreasonable. Because you think about it, wherever Christ is reigning, there's blessings. Wherever Christ is reigning as Lord, blessings abound. I mean, you think about it. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Right there on the cross, the dying thief said, "This man hath done nothing amiss." Jesus Himself said, "Which of you convinceth me of sin?" Listen, what I'm saying is, what wrong has Jesus ever done? What bands has He ever put on us? What accords have He ever has He ever put on us? Hey, listen, I got free from bondage today. I got saved, amen. It's not only unreasonable, but it's it's useless. And it's unsuccessful. You're not going to mock God. You're not going to get an upper hand on God. What's the use in striving and rebelling against God? It only makes sense. What do you think you're going to accomplish? I mean, to think that anybody's going to defeat God—that's imagining a vain thing. That's imagining a vain thing. Listen, you oppose the you oppose the cause of Christ. You may seem successful for a moment. You may seem to succeed for a time being. But God is keeping a record book. And the judgment hand of God, it may be moving slow, but I promise you it's moving. I see, I see the revolt or the, I see the conflict. But then I see the reaction here of the Lord. Verse 4 says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall have them in derision. Now the scene changes. We go from earth to heaven. We go to a wild commotion of rage on earth to a calmness in the throne room of heaven. Now, these that are revolting don't see God, but God sees them. And what does He do? First, He laughs at them. This is a joke to Him. You really think you're going to do something? You're going to defeat me? You really think you're going to rise up against me? Listen, the world may scoff at God, well, God laughs. At them. The sacred writers of the Old Testament were confident that the gospel is going to triumph. No matter how bad this world gets, the gospel is going to triumph. But they also understood there would be opposition. Listen, when we are in the will of God, there will be opposition. When we're going the way of God, there will be opposition. I, I want to encourage you, don't, don't listen to this crowd. I don't care what label they have on them, but be careful of this crowd who says, well, if God's mad at me, he's got a funny way of showing it. I've heard independent Baptist preachers say, well, if God's mad at us, he's got a funny way of showing it. And I say, well, you mean, well, our numbers are up and our offerings are up. And I said, I bet you that's what Joel Osteen says too. Amen. Hey, man. Oh, now, brother. I said, that's what I'm thinking all now, brother. Amen. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Be careful that crowd. Hey, listen, listen. The, the worldly pleasures, the health and wealth and prosperity gospel, it's not just on TBN. God help us. It's crept into our churches. Be careful that crowd. Listen, God is, God says, and God is telling us here, it's laughable to God, but there's real opposition going on on earth. In these verses. Now he laughs at it. But then he says this. The Lord shall have them in derision. There is an anger. And look what he says in verse 5. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. And vex them in his sore displeasure. He transitions from laughter to anger. And then in verse 6. He says this. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God's anointed has been appointed. One man said, The anointed has been appointed and he will not be disappointed. Amen. Hey, listen, nobody's going to take him off the throne. That yet, there in verse number six, it is flung across the path of those revolters. It's flung in the face of those revolters, yet, he's, he's, he's putting a stop to their advance, but he's also saying, Hey, this ain't over yet. Hey, this is not over yet. Have your time right now. And he that shall come will come. Amen. You can have your fun now, world. You have, I kettle, Jack House, uh, uh, Sunday's coming. Amen. Have your time now, devil. Sunday's coming. Amen. Jesus is getting up. Hey, listen, Jesus is coming back. Yet, yet, yet have I set my king. It's coming. That's what he tells me. There's a warning there. Then I see in verse 7 through 9, there's a There's a reign of the king. What's going to happen when he comes? Verse 7, I I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Here in verse number 7, we see the relation here. in The words there, I begotten thee. They're not referring to his birth in Bethlehem. But Acts chapter 13 and verse 33 tells us this is referring to his resurrection acts 13 33 says this uh, it says uh, God hath fulfilled the same unto us uh, unto us their children in that he hath raised up Jesus again and also let me read that I don't think I topped that out right let me see acts chapter 13 and 3 uh, it, it, verse 33 acts 13 and 33. Says this, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that He hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten Thee. Here it is. There's a unique relation. God is is talking about resurrection. You may have your life on earth, you may uh, kill the appointed one, you may crucify the Savior, but I'm going to raise Him up again. I'm going to raise Him him up and I'm going to put him on the throne there's a unique relation there's a universal possession verse number 8 he said this ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession Now, some may look at that as a missions verse but this if you look in context of what this is talking about this is not talking about saving those in the uttermost parts of the earth it's talking about destroying those in the uttermost parts of the earth now we will say this regarding missions that's why we ought to go to the uttermost parts of the world and give the gospel to them Because judgment's coming to there too. Judgment's coming to the heathen. Judgment's coming to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we must tell them now about salvation. But here we see that he's going to all the world. You're not going to hide from the wrath of God. You laugh all you want to, but you're not going to hide from the wrath of God. Verse number 9, we see not only his relation, his possession, but his administration. Verse number 9, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Nothing is going to stand in the way of God's decree. There will be certain and complete destruction. and That will be the lot of everybody who wants to resist and oppose and revolt against the word of God. This is not a real positive psalm. Really? You look at verses 1 through 9... And it's like, my goodness, this is, I mean, you think about singing this in church. I mean, I don't know what the tune would be, but I mean, it just sounds dark, don't it? It almost sounds like this tune would be something with a a lot of heaviness on that bass side of that piano. And and be slow and everybody just, I mean, God's going to kill all of y'all. (laughs) <laughs> laugh if you want to knock at God but he's going to kill you and it ain't going to be a slow easy or it's not going to be a fast quick death he's going to break you all into pieces I don't know how you'd sing it but i tell you what you say well I'll tell you what it's exciting for us because we're not on that side of it you're exactly right but there is a challenge to us in this song as we look here I could see a challenge here to get the gospel to the world I can see this challenge here in verses um, ten through twelve. This is the challenge I see, and this is the, the message that God's from on my heart. Five minutes, I'm done. Look what he says, verse ten: "Be wise now, therefore. Be wise, y'all. See that now. Therefore, all this is coming. All this breaking in, in uh, breaking, then uh, with the rod of iron and dashing them in the pit. That's coming in the future. So he says, "Be wise now." Therefore, because of what I just said, O ye kings, then he says, Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. So there's some instruction here for us. There's some instruction for us right now. There is a counsel that we should heed. See, the wicked are urged here. Pause. Think about this. In light of the word of God, everything you're trying to do is hopeless. You're not going to defeat God. You're not going to rise up. You may resist, but at the end of the day, you're not going to win. Listen, that's what he's saying. Listen. You're not going to, you're not going to do this on your own. You're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to uh, all, all, all of a sudden be the first one to meet the glory of God. You know, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and you think you're going to be the first one to not come short, right? God says that, that's not right. You're not going to rise up above me. Satan tried that; it didn't work out for him. It's not going to work out for you. So listen now, before all this destruction comes, before all this wrath comes, listen now. Take warning. Submit now to the Lord while there's still time. While while judgment is being held off, while the wrath of God is being held off, submit now to the Lord. Withdraw from this 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 crazy position you're in withdraw from this impossible task you're trying to accomplish and now let's seek the forgiveness of the lord seek me while i may be found is what the lord is saying why be an enemy when i'm inviting you to be my friend is what he's saying be wise now therefore be instructed ye judges of the earth not only should we the counsel be heeded but our conduct should be holy Verse number 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You know, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of uh, wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's also the beginning of spiritual joy. You're going to have joy in your life. You're going to have to serve the Lord with fear. You're going to have to serve the Lord. Listen, you walk in the fear of the Lord. You're going to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many how many of us got up today and really considered what the Lord thought about what we were going to do today. And I don't mean the broad scheme of things like, oh, today's well, Sunday, we're going to church, so everything's good. But I mean every part of our life today. Tomorrow, are you going to wake up and just do your routine? And nothing wrong with the routine. And you're looking at one and I got a routine. But we're just going through the motions or routine without seeking the the approval of God. Without seeking the the wisdom of the Lord. Without seeking the guidance of the Lord. I, I used to pray. I know I've said this before, but I used to pray, Lord, lead God and direct us today. And it hit me one day when I was praying, well... He is leading, guiding, and directing. The problem ain't with him. The problem's with me. He's leading, but I ain't following. He's guiding, but I'm going my own way. He's directing, but I ain't listening. And so I've stopped praying, Lord, lead, God direct, and I've asked, Lord, help me to follow your leading, your guiding, and your directing, step by step. He who walks in the fear of the Lord also walks in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So our conduct ought to be holy. Is your conduct holy? Listen, I understand this psalm is a psalm. He's talking to the nations of the world. He's talking to kings and rulers, but he gets down to where we're living. And he says, this serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's us. Individually. Serve the Lord. I said it on Wednesday when it's talking about that presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. What in the world are we waiting on for serving the Lord? Why are we pushing everybody to do something else than to serve the Lord? We need people, young and old, to submit themselves to the Lord and to serve Him with their life. And then, last thing I'm done, our conversion to the King will bring happiness. Our conduct ought to be holy. The counsel ought to be heeded. But when when our conversion to the king will bring happiness. Notice what he says in verse 12. Kiss the son lest he be angry and he perish from the way. Here's what he's saying. Give the son of God honor now by accepting him as Lord and Savior. See, that kiss there is a a sign of affection and allegiance. And I know Judas abused it, but we ought not abandon it. Kissing the Lord means we are are affectionate and we, we are in love with Him. And our allegiance is to Him. We are His. Don't be ashamed to embrace the Lord in a world that hates Don't be ashamed to serve the Lord in a world that despises Him. Don't be ashamed to embrace Him. Then I noticed that word, not just kiss, but then the word lest. Lest He be angry and you perish from the way. I think about John 3.16. Whosoever believeth in Him should not Perish gives me the idea it gives me the thought here chapter um, verse 12 here in, in, in John 3:16 that those who believe will not perish lest, or ye, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way so you kiss the son and you won't perish you believe on the lord and you won't perish John 316 and then it says this in the last phrase of this chapter the last phrase of this song blessed are all they that put their trust in him The last phrase, those who put their trust in him will be happy. They'll be blessed. So I'll say this. It's better to bend than to be broken. It's better to submit to the Lord now. One one man said it like this. Fools do at last that which wise men do at first. Fools do at last that which wise men do at first. And here's the idea behind that. Everybody is going to bow one day. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody. This psalm teaches us that if we'll bow now, we won't be broken later. If we'll bend to his lordship now, we won't be broken later on. There is no greater life to live than a life on God's side. I asked the question in my title earlier, what in the world? And my thought is this, what in the world are the heathen thinking? What in the world are the people imagining? What in the world are these kings and these rulers doing? I'll tell you what, same thing you and I do a lot of times. We go our day, we go our day and we don't serve the Lord with fear and we don't rejoice with trembling. We don't put our allegiance to him. We do our own thing. We feel like all this, all these standards and convictions is, is bands and it's cords and preachers are legalists. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me and just to say this and I'm done. But it's amazing y'all don't want a preacher that's a legalist but you want a president that's legal. You want a president to keep illegals out of here but you don't want a, you don't want a preacher that'll keep illegal stuff out of the church. What about that? Sounds like hypocrisy to me. Amen. I'm for a president to keep illegals out too okay by the way just in case you're wondering but I'm also get, I'm also for a preacher preaching illegal stuff out of me amen yeah man I'd rather be legal than illegal by the way here's the thing this psalm ends on a high note and the high note is the earnest invitation come isn't that the theme of the Bible come come he's saying this the blessing awaits Those who respond. The wisdom is be be willing to be instructed. Especially when that instruction is coming from God. It's better to bend than to be broken. Will you do as verse 10, 11, and 12 said today? Will you put that in practice? Will you commit to the Lord tonight? I'm going to put that into practice. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm gonna be wise, be instructed, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son. And I'm gonna put my trust in him. He's playing the song Trust and Obey. It's better to do it now than later. And child of God, and child of God, there, it's better now to submit your will to him. than to have to go through chastisement, and correction. I'll tell you what sin does in a Christian life. It, it, it breaks that fellowship between you and God. You lose that joy and that peace that only God can give. But then I'll tell you what it does. It, brings, it, it, it invites chastisement into our life. It's better to be in than to be broken. What in the world? Amen.